Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and 80 plus episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making a purchase on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code Colby Podcast to receive a 35% discount on any of Enduro Bearings excellent products. That's Colby Podcast, which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That means it may outlive you because, well, it's inanimate. Enduro also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to cycling.endurobearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now. And remember, the proper number of bicycles is always N plus one, so think ahead. Thanks for listening. Dr. Vince, hello. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. You bet. Thanks for making time to come on the show. Most definitely, I' a uh, fan of your work as I've been as uh, getting to meet you from a couple months ago and yeah. seeing some of the, your your website and talking about your podcast and learning the person you are. It's been uh, it's an honor. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, we've had a good day so far. I, I'm in uh, I'm in California on my way down to the Czech IMS four course and. Dr. Vince and I had a few minutes to to get together. He graciously decided to come in on a Sunday morning and let me check out his bike fit studio and uh, show me some of the some of the techniques he uses to work with his clients. So maybe you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your your doctor of chiropractic. Yeah, that's been a long voyage. Then you also are a cyclist yourself, and now you've you've trained with Dan Enfield at in his program. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, slow twitch, slow twitch. Yeah, yep. So maybe you can unpack kind of that journey and yeah, um, you know, started as a chiropractor in '95, was in construction before, and uh, back went out, went to a chiropractor. All of a sudden, low back started working better after a couple adjustments. Mm-hmm. Gave me a, a whole understanding of what was happening with my spine that I had no idea when I was having pain or discomfort, mm-hmm. and found out that I fractured my spine playing football uh, when I was 15. And then that sort of led me into back feeling better, became a chiropractor, and then um, two years into being a chiropractor, we had our first son, and he went ahead and uh, couldn't breathe, had the cord wrapped around the neck, Mm. and couldn't breathe into his left lung. And so he was, (coughs) and 38 hours of labor, and my, uh, the emergency nurse says we have to take him to intensive care, he has a collapsed lung. Yeah, and understanding and seeing how the doctor was pulling him out and rotating the head, seeing the forearm muscles, and in that moment, uh, my wife said, "Not until my husband checks him." And I've only been practicing for two years, uh-huh. but I was also the president of the philosophy club, and so we had great chiropractors who've been practicing 30, 40, 50 years, 
and sharing their stories of what the innate intelligence and how the spine is communicating and working. And mm-hmm. so in that moment of seeing my son, I saw the left side of his neck, the SCM, the sternocleidomastoid muscle was in spasm as well as him not able to breathe into his left lung. And at the base of the brain, there's a portion called the medulla oblongata that deals with the breathing centers and seeing the SEM that was in spasm. Mm -hmm. And we said a prayer and in a moment, there's no neck on a baby. So all we did was we just oscillated on his atlas on the left side and made three little oscillations and held. And then the SEM relaxed and he took a humongous breath into his left lung and beautiful sound of a cry coming out of him. Wow. So, and what they were going to do is put a tube into his chest because he had a collapsed lung. Right. So from that moment, my son's been my teacher about how the body humanly works. Not mm-hmm. just, and before I was into sports medicine, nutrition, you know, exercising, great strengthening in the gym, working, conditioning muscles. But in that moment, understanding innate intelligence was so key for me. Mm-hmm. And so that is where I've, you know, you mentioned a, a term, keeping your vessel as open as possible and not trying to come to looking at the body in an unbiased situation mm-hmm. and with knowledge that we have and not just treating the person for their symptom or fitting a person because they're, they're having numbness in their hand or, but trying to take in the whole person and trying yeah. to understand yeah. where they're at. So that's where this journey for the last uh, 10 years of, of working, um, you know, with cyclists, but uh, 12 years ago, got ran off the road and I was training for a full Vyman up in Northern California mm-hmm. and I couldn't hold my head out after having three herniated discs in the neck. Yeah. And I was bummed. I was really just, I was in a weird place. I was sad. I was sad because I, I had this identity as a chiropractor. I had this identity as a, as a father, as also as a triathlete. And that's, that was my, that was my release. Mm-hmm. getting out and racing and having it was fun it wasn't like i'm going to be number one but it was just my outlet yeah and all of a sudden i couldn't do my outlet mm-hmm. i couldn't run i couldn't I couldn't swim mm-hmm. and it really put me on a weird road and my wife says well i guess you get time to invent that bicycle seat now <laughs> and i'm like what and it's like <laughs> and so it's my wife why the seat's been developed and created but it's been a labor of love working with cyclists on a deeper level mm. um and understanding what and how they're sitting on a bike and trying to every day learn from people such as yourself and mm. um of how the human body sits on a bike and as we have this flexible system working on a fixed system and how mm-hmm. to integrate both of them together. Mm-hmm. That's where this road of, I think mm-hmm. our, you know, our first conversation was talking about the seat and some of the things that you had yep. with some people yep. and, um, you know, another tool in the shed. So the, the saddle you invented is called the infinity bike seat. It's a right? bike seat. Yep. And that's your website is infinity Yep. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if you haven't seen an infinity bike seat, um, I'll invite you to go check it out on the site. How I describe it to clients when they've never heard of it is, Imagine if you asked a child to draw a picture of a bicycle saddle <laughs> and they basically drew an outline of a saddle shape. That's kind of what an infinity saddle looks like. And yeah. sometimes that gets the picture across for people if they haven't seen it. But if they, uh, then when they go to the site or when they see one in person, they say, oh, I see what you mean. Because it's sort of like 
There's nothing in the middle. Nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Or they say, where's the other part of the seat? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> when will you finish it? Yeah, right? Yeah. And that's one of your models. That's I think the E2 is is characterized that way, right? Where there's literally a void in the center of the saddle. The E2 but, and the E3. Yeah. And the E3. But then you have other models that do have a cover in the middle, but it's still, it's a flexible leather cover so that you've got support and um, some proprioceptive awareness of what's happening there, but it's still largely the structure of the saddle is in that outline shape. Is that yeah, accurate? All the frames are the same. Yeah. Um, we just knew that when having a person doing anything off-road from a cyclocross mountain bike or gravel bike, that the vibration from the road, even though you have the larger tires, there's still your cellular tissue, your soft tissue, is that extra vibration you're being pulled into the openings of the seat. Mm. So, and we, and we use the term seat because by definition, a seat means to sit in or on and saddle means to straddle. So with right. our seat, we yeah. don't okay. straddle the seat because we're not moving back and forth mm. over it. So, but, um, but in that portion, when we look at the, 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 we have two versions, you have the E1X that has the full wrap and close the center and it acts like a hammock. So you still have the openness in the center mm -hmm. of the frame, but you don't have a hard place where the convex surface of the issue tuberosity would sit on a plastic. And where people have that pain right now is sometimes they'll go, well, I need more padding or I need yeah. more. And so now I get a thicker pad in my shorts or my bibs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, then you sweat more, you go ahead and release more and more minerals. And depending on the length of the ride, all of a sudden now you have the sponge that's holding all this moisture. The yep. tissue becomes dehydrated and then you begin to chafe and unfortunately get saddle sores over mm -hmm. a period of time. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we want to encourage, and when we had the seat was for, you know, having less pressure on those issue tuberosities of the pubic rami and going ahead and having, uh, being able to ride back in the day. Mm -hmm. Remember, I don't, you, know, you remember back 20 plus years ago, you rode with a chamois. Yeah. You didn't have an this, actual chamois. Yeah, it's chamois, yeah. right? Yeah. You just, so it wicked away the sweat from the body. You didn't have this large sponge, you know, this thing yeah. that was sitting inside your short, yeah. decreasing the space between you and your seat and your bike. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, how I describe it is whenever people apply padding to something, really padding is a one size fits all solution. It's a mm -hmm. it's a gasket designed to void, fill void space mm -hmm. between two objects that aren't really the right shape. So mm -hmm. it's a way to scale. Mm -hmm. It's a way to sell 500,000 saddles or 2 million saddles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you. I'm sure you agree, but I don't really want a saddle that was designed for 2 million people, <laughs> other people's butts. I want one that's really close to my butt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how I describe to people when they come into my my studio, a lot of times, a lot of the saddles I have are pretty, you might say, bony or Spartan. Maybe they're pretty unpadded. And I remind people, well, if you're riding in modern bike shorts, you have a 12 or 15 millimeter pad on your butt already. Mm -hmm. But if the saddle's the right shape and if it cradles the ischium, which are the, the sit bones or sits bones is the colloquial term, depending on who you're talking to at the time. Right. And really, a lot of people mean the ischial tuberosities when they're talking about the sit bones. Um, if the saddle cradles that bony anatomy correctly and distributes the weight properly, then you don't need or want a lot of padding because padding just causes, as you mentioned, chafing or it, uh, the more padding you have, you know, you already don't get a lot of air circulation down there, yep. Yep. right? Your saddle being an exception or any saddle with a big cutout will help, mm -hmm. but we still don't get a lot of airflow down there. So we've got all this sweat that's happening. You're working hard. And as you know, like when we sweat a lot and that sweat pools and collects, 
if we don't deal with it, it causes problems. It tends yeah. to cause problems. And what right? people don't think about is that you could become dehydrated. And if you think about it, when we go swimming, being in the water for a certain amount of time, all of a sudden our fingers become pruny because there's more water outside of us than inside of us. Yeah. And so that's where the pruning starts to take place. Mm. So when my pad is retaining that moisture, mm. it's going to go ahead and the skin will go, oh, I have more water on the outside than I do around this thin skin. So now the pH has changed, which right. then causes a breakdown. And then having the sweat with the minerals which then goes all so this is this this snowballing effect that yeah. takes place of the degradation of the breaking down of the cellular tissue ending up in injury in a salsar yeah yep. or a, yeah and, and what's so crazy mm -hmm. is that they think oh i have to just wash my shorts because the bacteria level is causing my my sores and my chafing which is so far from mm. the truth mm. and it's it's not the bacteria that's causing that it's the accumulation it's, of changing the cellular yeah. tissue. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because I think so, a number of years ago, they had, I was saw where um, watching the tour and they had these big semis and they had their washing machines. Each, each rider had their own washing machine so they didn't have to deal with other people. Mixing. Yeah. Mixing. Yeah. So this way, nobody, there was no cross contamination. Right. Worrying about right. bacteria. Right. That's interesting. So talking about dehydration, tell me if you agree with this, but I think most people think of dehydration as uh, you have a pitcher full of water and the pitcher is dehydrated when all the water is poured out, meaning you're either hydrated or not globally. You're hydrated right. throughout all your tissues. But I think what you're talking about is actually acute localized dehydration, meaning yes. you can sweat more in one area of the body than the other. And mm -hmm. while the lymphatic system, the, the circulatory system, and the um, fascial system are all ways in which they're all structures or tissues that can be more or less hydrated, optimally or not hydrated, right? When we kind of suck the water out of one specific area of the body, it doesn't just equalize. It's not like you just turn on a faucet and water goes right. into the tissue that you're sitting on under your saddle. It takes time for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And since you have a finite amount of fluid, it has to be kind of robbed, we'll say, or borrowed from another body space, another mm -hmm. cavity or another fascial tissue or, or maybe from the gut, wherever, wherever the body's gonna, gonna solve that equation. Mm -hmm. So these fluids will normalize over time, which will then result in a global distribution of water levels, which may or may not be optimal. However, we also have to consider the mechanical restrictions of getting fluid to that area. Because you're sitting on the saddle, if you're putting pressure on the ischial tuberosities and you're sweating there excessively because you've got this padding and there's all this chafing and friction and pressure, right? And then the water's being, uh, move from those tissues, well, now it, it, you're, you're presumably not gonna be able to rehydrate those tissues sufficiently until you unweight that area. Or take off, right? the, take off that wet garment. Yeah, right, right. take off the garment yeah. and then stop, stop applying pressure to it because you're supporting yeah. the weight of the torso on the ischial tuberosities or of this tissue that we're right. So, So if all the tissues compressed, right? If there's weight on it, if all the, the fascia is compressed, fascia is like, they're like little tubes Right, and they're filled with waters. But if they're all smashed down, they can be less hydrated. 
less hydrated and you have the ability, you know, we, we're not just talking about the sweating of right in that pelvic area. Mm-hmm. You have all your body sweat that from gravity will pull down and go right. into your into Correct. Your, into crotch. your crotch. That's or, why I was saying yeah. about airflow and yeah, yeah it sort of get magna- it gets yeah. magnified in that area. It does. It yeah. just it comes yeah. down to the lowest point. Right. And and we see this also not just only on sweat, but you'll see on these long endurance rides where all of a sudden support crews will come out with water, you know, sprayers and spraying trying to spray them down and going through the desert or different things. And sometimes they get oversaturated. Yeah. And they think, oh, okay, the person's gonna be cool, but now they have this this sponge that's yeah. just absorbed because all that water and sweat has gone down into down, the area. Yeah, the chamois, yeah. And so when you talk yeah. about, you know, now you're you know, when we're younger, we didn't think about so much riding on ourselves. We didn't have the amount of pain or discomfort from sitting on our seats when we're 20, 30 years younger. <laughs> you know, we were like, oh, okay, great. You know, yeah, whatever. And, but now we get a little bit older, <laughs> tissue doesn't respond as quick as it's not we, as elastic. Exactly. Right. You're right. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't have that that rebound effect as fast as, as we yeah. were when we were younger. And yeah. so um, yeah, so this, you know, just a portion of how the body would just, in, the body's always working for a homeostasis. Correct. So yep. once we t- once we take off the wet clothes, once you put the dry clothes on, once we take a moment, if you're riding an endurance ride, you take a break for a moment, re- rehydrate, refuel up, and then you get on the bike with the dry kit, all of a sudden, then through homeostasis says, oh, there's a decrease of water in this area. And as you were talking about the fashion, different things, that how the body can start to rehydrate mm. itself until all of a sudden it feels that it needs to remove that water source back out of that area. Mm. Yeah. It's like opening your refrigerator, trying to cool the entire apartment. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great analogy. I never heard of that one. Yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's where it sort of led us to designing the seat and just meeting thousands of great cyclists around the world. Mm. We do a lot of Zoom fittings with folks. Um, and just it's it's really nice to share. I know for myself, before I became a fitter, I was constantly on the search. I was constantly on the hunt of finding out how to be more efficient on the bike, how to to learn about my pedal stroke. And we had a great conversation this afternoon uh, about um, the different, from levers to different size front rings to go ahead and talking about the cassettes mm-hmm. and talking about our, our our physiology and the mechanics that our muscles do, right? And mm-hmm. so when you take a, a person that's a banker or a florist or any type of other occupation besides them being in the health field or being a professional cyclist, they're trying, they have the bug. They have the bug since they were a kid and now they're adult and now they're on the bike and now now they just want to learn a little bit. And mm. so when we get to share some knowledge with them here in the facility, it's like, oh, well, now I, I'm able to, I was able to go up a, a mile or two more in my performance. I was able to not to get dropped off the back of the pack. Yep. You know, I was able to yep. go ahead. You know what? I'm able to contribute to the Peloton now. I'm able to go ahead and, and take the lead for a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. So th- it's just the sharing of knowledge as we're doing, as you've been doing on your podcast now for the last 89 pods, is, is mm-hmm. sharing, is is helping, sharing a little piece of fruit to go mm-hmm. ahead with with everybody. And I think we get, you know, as, as cyclists and passionate cyclists and people taking the time listening today. And that's what, you know, as human beings, I think sharing, there's no, there's no, as you said before, we can't take it with us. Right. 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 So it's nice to go ahead and impart it. And sometimes we get some knowledge and they go, eh, that didn't really work for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we never heard it, if we never tried it, we wouldn't know if it would work for us or not. 
And so I think if 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 if, if the information is coming across in a humble way if, of just of service, then lots of people can benefit. Yes. Yes. Um, well, and on that topic, you do a lot to serve your clients. So maybe you can walk through the for the audience's benefit a little bit about your clinic here and kind of your process. You've got some unusual things going on by bike fitting standards, which is great yeah. for me to see. Um, today, we, we went through Dr. Vince's clinic and he showed me a bit about how he uses blood pressure and what that tells him about clients. We talked about, um, we used an EKG for a few minutes to look at mm -hmm. muscle function. Yeah. Uh, we also looked at some x-rays of people's necks and looked at the cervical spine. Yeah. So maybe you can walk people through, if, you, if someone came to see you for a bike fit, yeah. Or maybe just as a client, yeah. you know, in general, how does that how does that all work? What does it look like? Well, you know, we were talking about the first thing I did, I, I, you know, I showed you our, our bicycle area, but then I brought you into the clinic side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing we all, you know, as cyclists and people listening are trying to improve themselves, but they have this, this door that they don't know what's happening because that door is how do I look inside the body? How do I understand what my, I've lived a certain amount of life and how can I improve myself on the bike? And sometimes you have people that have numbness in the hands and they have numbness in the legs or have back pain or neck pain or whatever it is. Or sometimes they go, you know, I don't have any of those problems. I just can't seem to break through this barrier. I have this ceiling that I can't go to the next level. Mm -hmm. And today we sort of showed where there's a, a test called the Raglan's blood pressure cuff test. And we're checking for adrenal function. And if to help your listeners understand, the adrenals go ahead and help the heart regulate the four quadrants and, and apply enough volume of blood that carries oxygen nutrients to every cell in the body. But when you are pushing yourself on whatever you're a cyclist, a swimmer, a runner, whatever your sport is, and if you have adrenal fatigue, you will hit that ceiling. And no matter what, you know, then what takes place as a novice, what we do is we start going to the stores and we're looking online and we start buying different supplements, trying yeah. to boost our energy. And I think one of the, the biggest disservices I saw in the triathlon world, there was a great triathlete, I won't mention his name, but it was a great triathlete from Australia. And he was winning world records. He was winning IMs. He was doing amazing. But then all of a sudden, he you watched him, he was eating potato chips and Coca-Cola. Mm. So all of a sudden, at the water stations, you were seeing Coca-Cola and potato chips. Mm. So potato chips to go ahead and get your salt in, and right. then your Coca-Cola to get your sugar in, yep. that will give you maybe a 15 minute blast mm -hmm. and your glycemic index shoots up like a rocket and then crashes like a rocket mm -hmm. and so when i started seeing this i said okay i want to help people understand what's happening so today we took your blood pressure laying down mm -hmm. we had a number of approximately 120 over 80 mm -hmm. which is so-called normal just to help people if you 120 over 80 is a really great, but he's in great physical condition. But there's also, as if you're a regular person, your blood pressure might go up a little bit. It's hard to say that your body will maintain 120 over 80 as it did when you were 20 versus being 50 or 60. Mm. So it's, it's, it's normal because your organs are not 20 years old. They're a little bit older. So it's not uncommon that you might have a slightly higher because we've eaten different foods. You have plaquing of the artery. But going back to the blood pressure tufts by Dr. Raglan, he would go ahead and have you laying down, check the blood pressure, looking at the top number. 
So we saw that you were approximately 120 over 80. Mm -hmm. Then we went ahead and repressured the cuff, had you stand up and then recheck the blood pressure cuff. And basically for in all intents and purposes, your number stayed about the same. It was about 120. Mm -hmm. Now, when we're looking at that, the adrenals, when you go from a laying down position to a standing position, the adrenals are there to cause a muscle inside the artery called the tunica media to constrict, which helps drive the blood flow up to the brain, bringing oxygen nutrients. When somebody comes up from a laying down position or standing from a sitting position and they stand up, sometimes they go, well, I got a little lightheaded. I need to sit back down again. Yep. That's a sign of adrenal fatigue. Because that, that means your blood pressure got lower as you stood, exactly. right? Exactly. Right. All of a sudden, instead of being 120, maybe you're 115. Yep. 110. I've seen it where it's 20 to 30 points lower. Yeah. And so when I hear from those people, their daily life says, I have to work out. Yep. I have to drink my kombucha. They need stimulant to mm. maintain because they're in such or adrenal. Or six cups of coffee. So, yeah, I'm drinking right. coffee all through the day, Yeah, right? I'm drinking Red Bulls. I'm yeah. doing things. I'm, I'm eating dark chocolates. I'm having espressos. Mm -hmm. So they're looking to, because they can't see that that sort of that veil that I talked about, that door, what's happening inside their body. Yeah. The adrenals are in fatigue. Now, all of a sudden, as we, and I'll show you the sheet later on, the adrenals then are also connected to the thyroid. And in, in the last part of my practice, with 73% of our practice was women dealing with, with hormonal issues. Mm. And one of the biggest things we saw was thyroid, hyperactivity of the thyroid. Yeah. And so then they go, oh, you got Hashimoto's, you got hyperthyroidism. And so then they go ahead and try to reduce the amount of work that the thyroid's doing. Or if somebody has a heart that's not, okay, we're gonna reduce your high blood pressure, but that means I decrease oxygen and nutrients because I slowed down. Mm -hmm. If I slow down thyroid function because it's in hyperfunction, then the body's trying to do something because it's in already a lowered state. That's yeah. why the that's why the thyroid's working it's a hyper working state. Tires. Yeah. Because yeah. the adrenals are already fatigued. Are already smoked. So it's the you've already gone through a level of dysfunction because you've already taxed your adrenals significantly. Yep. And you keep whipping right. that horse, yeah. that horse begins to froth. That then yeah. starts sweating yeah. and it's exhausted and all of a sudden, boom, the horse collapses and dies. The thyroid's kind of like the um, tachometer of the body, isn't it? It is. It is all, that a good way to think about it? It is, yeah. but, it, but it deals with metabolism. Right, if so it revs up or yeah. slows down according to, again, the body trying to achieve homeostasis with its environment. Yep. Right. So all organs are connected together. Of course. So it's yeah. not one, you know, as you're looking at this muscle chart behind you, I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the organ chart behind you, it's all interconnected to the nervous system and they're all connected to one another, all via the brain. Mm -hmm. So if a if a thyroid says, oh, I'm low, I'm gonna go ahead and tell the brain to kick up the adrenals even more so I can go ahead and cause this body to, so mm -hmm. there's all these these negative and positive feedbacks that are taking place inside the body. And the way we can think about that is sort of a th thermostat on a wall. Yep. And all of a sudden, if I have it set at 74, if that temperature rises, the air conditioner is going to kick in. Right. If I have the thermostat for heat to kick in, it'll go ahead and say if it's going to be, we'll max it out at 78, and it's all of a 76, then it's going to go when it raises back up to 78, it's going to kick off. But sometimes these thermostats inside of our bodies aren't able to get regulated because of either emotional traumas, mm. physical traumas, or chemical traumas. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what we really try to do, finding out the chicken or the egg inside a facility. So yeah. first thing before I put you on a bike, are your adrenals shot? Is your endocrine system, your body working in a harder state that it's not just getting right numbers and making sure you have the right le- arm lengths for your handlebars, making sure that you have a proper uh, leg angle, making sure that you don't have the right float. Those are all basic stuff. Yeah. But if the if the internal, if the organic system is having problems, what takes place is that you will work harder, your lats will contract, mm. and when we talk about the lats, they allow you to go ahead and hold on to the handlebars. And if you start, your adrenals start getting spent, the lats tighten up, that brings your torso and your body closer to the handlebars, which then has you have more pressure on the nose of the saddle. Mm-hmm. And you constantly are pushing yourself in the back of the saddle. So we checked your blood pressure. We noticed that you were fairly level. I would like to go ahead and see, the. you know, he drove down, what, 16 hours, 18 hours? Yeah, it was about... Uh, Nine and a half on the first day, and then yesterday was, yeah, about another six. Okay. So, yeah. you know, rather than that yeah. 15, 16 hours of driving. Yep. So, meeting for the first time. So, could be a little fatigued, a little tired, right? So, it's something that says, okay, when we go from a laying down to a standing position, it should go up. Yep. And so, we saw that you were fairly busy. You were even. So, it might be a mild. Mm-hmm. So, it's just something that, that it's nothing to go, oh, we got to look at that. Right? right, it's just something to keep an eye on. So mm-hmm. next time we get together, when I come up to you, we'll do it again, mm-hmm. and it just allows you to get an idea of what's happening with the adrenals, mm-hmm. right? And so that's one of the things that we did on checking your blood pressure. So how many? Uh, let's make a hypothetical of a hundred clients that walk through your door, and you do this Raglan's test with them. How many would you say test positive for a significant amount of adrenal fatigue? Almost seventy percent. Yeah. And when and this here, when we think about adrenal fatigue, people can't think about adrenal fatigue. But what they can connect to is I did X Y Z. This I was telling you about this, Tam, this one uh, client. She went ahead and did double two man raw. I mean, sorry, two man ram, uh-huh. and she goes ahead and completes it fairly strong. So she's doing fifteen hundred miles. She's going ahead and doing uh, 170,000 climbing elevation. So she's doing, what, 80,000, 85,000 climbing elevation in an eight-day period of time. Yeah. Yeah. She goes ahead. A couple weeks later, does who do 500. Or a couple months later, does who do 500. Is spent. Yeah. She's not feeling good. She wants to end, stop in in 100 miles. Mm. So all of a sudden, the body shows I didn't recover from my last big event. Mm -hmm. So these are things, so for your listeners, it's, it's, it's not to go, do I have adrenal fatigue? But how am I feeling from race to race? Because you don't have a barometer. We don't have gauges like we do in our cars. Says I'm low on gas. I, my temperature, my core of the engine is doing great. Right. All these different parameters. We don't have an oil light. That go, well, we do have an oil light that goes it, on. It's just we're how do we helping listen to, to recognize what it is and right? listen to it. Yeah. And, and today's cars now, it tells you if your tire pressure in yeah. front, left, right, what's happening. And so we don't mm-hmm. think about how to listen to our bodies. Yeah. And that is a big component because we only know what, from what we did from our last race. We only know from our last training session being and looking at our wattage, looking at my cadence, looking at my miles per hour, and looking maybe going into some people doing some lactate threshold or VO2 testing. So they have some parameters, right? But most people don't. We're mostly, we're mostly measuring by outputs. Right. Exactly. Outputs are power. Time, duration, yep. cadence, speed, placing. Yep. Right? So uh, response yeah. to output is heart rate, but yeah. a lot of people don't know what to do with that number. Yep. 
but we don't we don't have a lot of measurement of response to load. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the things we can use is HRV. It's not without controversy, but there are a lot of HRV monitors on the market now that people are using, and that's at least an insight into what the response to load is. Right. Right. And it can help coaches make decisions and athletes make decisions about, oh wow, I am really smoked. Right. I'm I'm still completely smashed a week after I did an Ironman or a RAM. Mm-hmm. Well, no big surprise there. Right. Right. Yeah. So I mean that's why all of a sudden the other portion that we did today was sort of checking digestion function. Yep. Right. And so we would have had to had you lay on the table and all of a sudden I checked your low back and we noticed some tightness on the left side. And yep. what was your first response? The left QL. Yeah. What was your first I response? I said I drove for a number of hours. So <laughs> and, and and what you said to me was, well, yeah, but you were sitting equally on the seat. I would actually push back on that a little bit. I think most cars, if you look at how they're arranged, you can't actually sit with your legs and your pelvis square to the center line because the pedals are offset slightly mm-hmm. to the right bias. And there's usually a gearbox, depending on what car you're talking yeah. about. Transmission, right? The, a transmission that will not allow you to sit with the heels equidistant. So you're constantly, it doesn't matter if you're driving a clutch or an automatic, uh, a clutch or a manual. Right. Uh, not that many people drive manuals anymore, but you're doing, you're, you're bringing the right foot towards the center line and look at the orientation of my ASIS, my front hip bones. My right one is forward, it's anterior of the left. We're kind of constantly biased towards that. So we talk about the fascial system. We talk about one of the conversations we had this morning was about how we see a dominance of right hip, what I call it is drop. Right. When we see, when we view someone on the bike from the posterior view that's riding behind, as though you were riding behind them, we see the right hip move forward towards the handlebars, which would be rotation in the um, transverse plane, right? I get that right. Or it would be dropping the right hip down, that would be rotation in the frontal plane or some combination of those two. The, the hip rotates basically towards the handlebars and down towards the bottom bracket, we might say, or towards the front hub, really. But as, but as it, just to interrupt here for mm-hmm. a second, yeah. as, it, as that hip rotates, what's taking place is if you look at where the socket, the femur socket, the yep. femoral head inside the acetabulum, when that rotation happens, the femur, the socket goes superior. Holds up, right. Because the axis is above the point of the femur. Exactly. Right. And so when that happens, that gives us the appearance of a, of a short okay. leg. Yes. Right. Because yeah. it's pulling the, the yep. femur up. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So so that rotation happens, and that's a function of, well, it depends on the athlete probably, but I would say grossly it can be a function of many different things, uh, myofascial adhesions, uh, visceral fascial adhesions in the right side. It can be the inflammation of the liver, pulling on the psoas, making hypertonic psoas. Um, it can be related to some other factors, but fascia, the, the fascial system is definitely involved in this movement pattern. There's no question. And oh, fascia yeah. responds to duration and load. Right. Right. So application of long-term low load over a long duration, I should say, such as driving a car for 16 hours, <laughs> It's gonna impact my fascial system, so I'm aware of this. I've done some stretches and some breathe, some breath work, and I'm trying to free up my liver. And I've got an old injury from when I crashed on the track years ago. I actually okay. punctured a lung on the right, Ooh. and um, broke three ribs. Ooh. Yeah, okay. had a pneumothorax, and also did my collarbone on that side. So I still get when I do uh, a prone cobra, for example, or if I roll over a stability ball and roll out mm-hmm. with my chest towards the ceiling in the morning. Normally, I'll get some pops and some some cracks that tell me there's still lines of 
of fascial adhesion in this area below my my twelfth rib for sure. Whether you're where you're pointing right now is that's the cartilaginous material okay. that connects to the floating ribs. Yeah, to the floating ribs. Yeah, right. Yep. And so yep. what's really interesting where you're pointing at and looking at, mm-hmm. I'm also going to be curious after we do this podcast to go look at your gallbladder. Yep. So I want to yeah. see what's happening because. Uh, you know, we'll just go back to, because mm-hmm. I'll be a whole other topic, yeah. but going back to your foot placement, here we go ahead and our heel is sort of this position between the gas pedal and the brake because we're constantly going oscillating, rotating that back and forth. Yep. So when you were talking about those osha, the, the fascia planes, we sort of have this, we get in the car one direction. Yep. We don't go ahead and drive the car left and the right. We drive Unless it own. Unless we're in the UK. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, still, right, yeah, yeah. we're going to be all one-sided there because we don't have two cars that we can switch back and forth, <laughs> right? So that foot is always so, you know, I'm 60. I've been driving a car since I was 16. So you've got 44 years of driving a car in this same plane. And, and still, it's the same mm-hmm. thing that if you're driving a manual or a transmission, you're still going to be pivoting, mm-hmm. accelerated to brake, and then your, your left foot is dealing with the clutch. Mm-hmm. So when we look at that... But when we had you on the table and we noticed the tightness in that lower portion of your back, then we gave you a, a product from Standard Process called Zymex. Mm-hmm. And then within a few minutes, all of a sudden, the, the tension, the, the, the fibers were still taut, but they weren't as rock hard. Mm-hmm. So it just showed us there was a little bit of an organic situation going as well, getting ready for the ride, going ahead and traveling for 15 hours, compressing the low back. But it just happened to be, my question was, why is it happening on the left side? Why not both sides? Right. Right. And so we saw that there was, and then by giving you something from a neurosublingual response inside your mouth, your brain took it up just as fast as somebody having nitroglycerin when they have a heart attack. Mm. And so that neurosublingual response, the brain told the the gastrointestinal tract, relax, we got some help on the way. The QL said, okay, I don't have to be the soldier anymore. I don't have to hold this tight. Mm -hmm. So that we're always trying to determine chicken or the egg before I do a fit with somebody, because if they just come right off the street and go right onto the bike, they're going to have their adaptabilities. They're going to have their coping mechanisms of what they do when they get on their bike at home. Yep. And I want to go ahead and find out, not just put them on the bike and see what their numbers are. I want to see what's happening with their core, their physiology, and how their body's communicating. And the body really runs. It wants to process carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And the gastrointestinal tract has to work to its best. And as we talked about before, there are a million gallbladders every year removed in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I really focus on digestive health because it's not Dr. Vince's thinking it's not my philosophy. It's not my bias. You can go to the store and you can look, whether it be Rite Aid, Walgreens, or any one of these places, and you go look at the area when people are having digestive issues, you will see a whole wall yeah. of all types of digestive aids mm. that will help you either if you're constipated, if you have diarrhea, if you're having XYZ, it will have something to help you if you're gassy. So I really try to educate the clients on you don't have to be a doctor. You just have to sort of listen because we don't have the dashboard. So every, you know, most people will have a bowel movement only in the morning time. Mm. But if you have a baby or a toddler, they're going through a dozen diapers a day. Mm. They're pooping, peeing machines. Food in, liquid in, food out, out liquid out. Yeah. Right? So the body is just fine-tuned. But now we go as adults, we got to work. 
So all of a sudden, we've got to work eight hours, mm. 10 hours a day, and we've got to be at our desk. We've got to be, you know, slumbering, lumber around the yard, building a frame. So it's like we can't be going to the bathroom every, you know, hour, two hours. So all of a sudden, we've created this cortisol levels that go up, and it sort of maintains our bodily functions. Mm. And so most people are lucky if they have a bowel movement in the morning and some go longer. So that means breakfast, lunch, and dinner is sitting inside your colon mm -hmm. all day through the night until that morning release. And so if that's taking place and I don't digest my food properly, if I don't, if I'm a fast eater and I'm just expecting my stomach to do all the work, that means possibility of carbohydrates fermenting that means proteins putrefying, and that means fats rancifying. And how can you know this? Because all of a sudden in the morning, you go, hey, I got some of a flat stomach. And then by midday, evening time, you bloat out. All of a sudden you're going, oh my God, I got to pop a button. Mm -hmm. I, I feel this gassiness. And then they go to the gas section to get gas X right. because, because food is off gassing inside their stomach. And now when they do the number one or number two in the morning, now those finding that instead of having this nice long cigar that comes out of old food, now it's just broken up pieces. Or sometimes it comes out loose or sometimes it comes out in balls. Yeah. So it shows that there's a, there is a dysbiosis inside the gut, which is changing pH, which is allowing candida levels to rise, which is causing blood cells to stick together, which decreases oxygen to the mitochondria, which decreases your Krebs cycle that doesn't allow you to produce enough ATP. So most people are working in an anaerobic situation, producing more lactate. Yep. So these are the things that I start from the beginning. Mm. What's your digestive tract doing? How's your low back? And so by checking their digestive system, by looking and feeling the muscles. And when we talk about the muscles is like when we felt your low back, we're looking at when like somebody has a heart attack. The left arm 70% of the time goes number tingling. So that's showing the heart and the left arm is in a, it's a visceral somatic response. So visceral meaning organ, somatic meaning muscle. So there's this correlation. So people go, oh yeah, okay, I can, I've heard of that. And then we know if they take something sublingual, like the nitroglycerin they put in their mouth, and all of a sudden they, it's, it gets absorbed, causes the vasodilation, stops a heart attack, person gets to live another day. So when I give them something, they go, how does it work that fast? And I tell them about the nitroglycerin. Oh yeah, I've heard that. So now they have a correlation of how some whole food that I give them could make that fast of an impact on the body. Mm. So always making that correlation to understanding. But as we were saying, if I'm not breaking down my foods, how do I know this? That's why I tell people, look at your bowel movements right. in the morning. You have your own little, you have your own test kit in the morning by looking at your sample of mm -hmm. how. So if the foods are not breaking down efficiently, I'm getting this bloating, I have dysbiosis of gut, that means I'm causing a neurotoxicity inside the gut. And you have these muscles called Hausstrom muscles that help move our old food out of the body. And if I have these neurotoxins of the gases that are building up inside, it will cause paralysis to the Hausstrom muscles. And that's why we get these broken up pieces. And why we get delayed. If you get, if you get delayed, then all of a sudden the body says, I'm dehydrated, so I'm going to take water out of the digestive tract. And sometimes you'll see balls. Yeah. inside the stools, like in Tootsie Roll. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's because it's so compressed, it's so dehydrated mm -hmm. because it's, I'm dehydrated overall and not getting enough water, so I gotta take the last bit of water. 
throw it on the other end, if all of a sudden it's running and it's loose, it says this is so toxic, I don't want to absorb the last amount of water from the gastrointestinal tract yeah. before I push it out. We're going to so expedite. We, everybody out. Yeah. But what takes place is so many people, after they've had this looseness or this diarrhea, they go, whew, thank mm -hmm. God that's over. Their gut is going to take anywhere from 30 to 90 days on healing. But people sometimes the next day or whatever, they're going back to the same eating habits. Yeah. They're not giving the normal flora of the gastrointestinal tract to get over that toxicity. That's almost like, oh, guess what? I had a clearing. I had a cleaning, right? Now let's put all good stuff into it. Right. Let's, and, right. and not not too much fruit because I can have too much fructose. Not too much proteins because that can be too heavy on the system. Mm -hmm. So cleaner diets, a little bit of fruit, lighter. If you're going to have any type of protein, maybe a fish or something that's easy to break down, something soft. And when I talk about salads, I'm not going to throw it right into kale. I'm going to go ahead and say, let's get some butter leaf lettuce. Let's get a green leaf, a mm -hmm. red leaf, something soft. Right? A little simpler. Yeah. yeah. A little so lower in oxygen. Yeah, because it's, it's already irritated. Yeah. We don't want to be like the sandpaper coming down and scratching down through. The, right. 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 So loving and creating a nice environment to decreasing that inflammation. But most people are suffering because of dysbiosis because the foods haven't broken down all the way. And they start to go ahead and get lodged in the villi mm -hmm. of the digestive tract. Villi, you can just sort of imagine sort of this where we're absorbing the food, but you get these larger particles of protein that will stick and irritate. And if anybody's ever had food trapped them in their teeth and it irritates the gum, once they get that water pick, once they get that floss, and all of a sudden the gum can go ahead and start to breathe again, mm. it, then it's they rinse or whatever, then it starts to decrease after 24 hours of that inflammation of the gum, of that mm. pocket. Mm -hmm. So you have to do the same thing with the gastrointestinal tract, is making sure that we're chewing food, we're making sure the foods that we're taking in are not going to lead to more disruption of the villi of the stomach, or, you know, the digestive tract, and blocking those cores. Because once that irritation happens, its way of protecting itself, it says, I'm tired of having this irritation. It The cells break down and that larger particle of food goes, goes into, into the bloodstream. Blood yeah. And now it's not like a door. It doesn't just rapidly close. Yeah. So that means more food products mm -hmm. are coming through that dis, that dysbiosis of the gut and that injury. Yeah. And that's what they call leaky gut right. syndrome. Right. And now you have, now the immune system inside your blood's going, mm -hmm. okay, I've got my day-to-day -day stuff, and now I got to deal with proteins. Chunks of food. I got, and yeah. now when I start, so the other portion we talked about in here is looking at blood. So now yeah. I look at the blood and I watch, not just the moment when I take your blood, but I watch your blood over the next day, two days, three days. And we have a guy from yesterday, and all of a sudden I'm seeing his blood today, and now it's got this cloudy effect happening inside underneath the slide so that's showing candida mm. which is starting to steal oxygen and start to proliferate inside underneath that cover slide yep it's like its own little petri dish yep and so those when we start looking at so we looked at your your gastrointestinal we gave you a zymex mm -hmm. the left side relaxed a little bit it mm -hmm. wasn't perfect it wasn't but it just relaxed so it just says okay got some stuff and then from there then we went and started talking about x-rays and a few other things and mm. some biomechanics so some of the problem, uh, please tell me if you agree with this, with 
this whole digestive model is that people are just enzyme deficient right now, right? And that's what it comes down to. Like on the one hand, we have the consumption of the, the foods you're putting in uh-huh. and we have the job you're doing of masticating because right. that's part of the digestive process is Most chewing def- your food properly, right? Yeah. And then also the environment in which you consume your food. People are you know, eating a burrito while they're driving in traffic yeah. on the way to work. Right. That's a lot different than sitting down with your family and having a meal where you take time to honor the food and nourish your body. Yeah. Or if you're watching Game of Thrones while you're eating your, <laughs> your Dominoes or whatever, different paradigm, right? So uh, it's the environment in which you eat your food, believe it or not, I think can play a, quite a role a in time. how the body assimilates that food. If you're having a fight while you're eating with someone, yeah. that's a different different or, energy than if you're having a nice candlelight dinner with your wife wa- or whatever. Yeah, or right? watching, the, you know, doing work on the computer while you're eating. Right, right. right. not being multi- present. I mean, it's just yeah. like anything. Like. When you really want to do a good job at something, do the one thing. Be fully present. Yeah. So if you're if you're trying to eat food while you're doing 14 other things, and this is this is cycling. Uh, it took it's taken me years to learn to slow down eating. Everything when you're a competitive cyclist, you're literally taught to eat fast because normally you're training so much that every time you get to the dinner table, you're starving. So you're inhaling food. Yeah. And then on the bike, you are actually eating as fast as possible because you're about to go down a descent or you have to cover an right. attack or the crosswinds are coming or whatever, or you already should have eaten 5K ago or 20K ago and you're bonked out of your mind. Yeah. So it's always a food emergency. So that's something I've been working on with myself is learning to slow down and chew my bites more and be just be more present. And one of the tips I use for myself is when I'm when I have the presence of mind to be really focused on my meals and enjoy them, is I'll take a bite and I'll put the fork and the knife down Ooh, in between each Fantastic one, right? Yes, that's great. If you hold your fork the whole time, then you're just kind of shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. Exactly. It's like the Simpsons. Commence shoveling. Right. But that's why if you look at proper dining, right, you'll have a person mm-hmm. that will cut their food, say like just stuck cutting their meat, and say if you're right-handed, they will cut this, the steak with their right hand while they're holding it in position with their left fork. Yep. They'll put the knife down switch hands yes. with and put the fork in the right hand and then take their take the bite, bite and then put the fork down and chew the bite and then do ever so gently take their napkin and <laughs> dot their lip to look ever so good right right but right. that like you said slow me down and i tried to go ahead and think about a baby when a baby is nursing and is suckling for every time they suckle they squeeze their the glands inside the mouth we were talking about the enzymatic reaction so you have three of the glands in your mouth so one's going to go ahead and be a water soluble enzymes that are being released inside the saliva the second one's going to be a fat soluble and the third one's going to go ahead and have a mixture of both mm. so if i'm eating too fast or even worse if i drink too fast mm. i'm taking in a amount of volume so when a baby is nursing it's registering to the brain and then telling the pancreas in the stomach, there's so much carbohydrates, so much fat, so much proteins that are coming down in this one sip. And all of a sudden, right down below, it goes, I'm ready for it. Yeah. It says, thank you very much. We've got the enzymatic reaction from our pancreas to get ready to digest these different c- components. Now, if I go ahead, if I take in water, if I go ahead and drink, take one swallow of water, keep it in my mouth for about 15 seconds or so before I take it down and swish it around in my mouth, my receptors in my mouth are going to absorb those hydrogen ions and bring them faster into my body than just going ahead and taking two big old swallows and then putting it in my stomach where I have to break that down, absorb it, assimilate it, and get it into the system. Mm-hmm. 
So the mouth is so important because we just said earlier, if everybody agrees, that if I take nitroglycerin, it stops a heart attack. It shows how fast something can get absorbed. Mm -hmm. So by holding that water in my mouth, I'm going to be able to process by, like you said, putting my fork down and chewing and masticating my food. I'm going to do the first stage of digestion in my mouth to really be that washer machine moving the saliva molecules through that food so when it does get down to the stomach mm. it will be able to fully break that down and not just go ahead and just pass it on down the line yeah. and a lot of times if that what you're talking about if i slow down then it's going to help balance and i'm not going to overstuff myself as a lot of us yeah. do and i've been guilty of that before we all know when right down the holidays what do we do? There's so much great food. We have we have historical memory of sitting down with family and having pumpkin pie and turkey or whatever the whatever the a celebration meal consists of. And so we we're, we have these emotional con connections with these meals, mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes we take in too much, and then all of a sudden the stomach gets overloaded, and so you can't the gallbladder cannot release enough bile. To sometimes because it's not being signaled because the stomach is exhausted it's it's overloaded with the amount of volume of food that's inside there mm. so if it can't signal to the gallbladder to release enough bile as it's going ahead and passing the food from the stomach through the small intestine then you don't have the full breakdown of your proteins and your fats which then leads to more problems of food sitting in the gastrointestinal tract and then the gallbladder is 93 to 95% water. So 5 to 7% of it is the actual bio salts. Yeah. So if I'm not releasing enough and if I'm dehydrated, yeah. that's where I start to develop gallstones. Yeah. Yeah. And I dealt and I've, I've, I've taken care of a, a GI a surgeon and she goes 10% of the gallbladders I removed were gangrenous. Means mm. that they were gangrene; that they were beyond, they were dead. They were dead necrotic yeah. tissue. So yeah. had to be removed. They, they had they were poison, right? Yeah. right. And so, wow. but that means ninety percent. But because when somebody has so much pain, they go, "I don't care what it takes, mm -hmm. remove it." Because they nobody said if you stop if you don't stop eating like this, you're going to go ahead and have problems. So now they take them out and they still say, "No problem. You got a liver that produces bile, so you can still eat proteins." I go, no, you can't, no. because once once you go ahead and eat that protein, you go, okay, that protein's coming. It's like the body's going, okay, I got protein, and I didn't get the bile to come down. You don't have the same efficiency. You don't have a sack of bile to break down that volume. Right. So that's where, you know, so people don't know that they, they don't have a gallbladder that they should need to stay off the red meats. They have to go ahead and stay off their their dairies. They have to go ahead yeah. and no, you know, or red wines. Or they have to take a lot of enzymes and a supplement to help digest yeah. the food, right? And, Externally. And exactly. And there's a really great product from Standard Process for anybody that does not and is mm. still eating a lot of proteins. It's called Colacol. And that's a re it's a bile salt that helps you process. So before you eat, you take this biosalt, it will help the stomach mm -hmm. break down some of the fibrous material of the proteins as well as adaptive with the some yeah. of the fats. Yeah. So and that's where we go in through a whole nother portion of understanding and dialing in somebody's diet, how much should they be eating, what's their race that they're doing, how much what's their caloric intake, what that should that look like underneath, you know, how much protein you because everybody's got their sort of formula. But again, as I told you before, I don't like guessing. Mm -hmm. So we take a drop of blood and we know that every 90 to 120 days, you're going to get a whole new set. So yeah. if I have you on a diet regimen for 30 days and you're using certain formulas, we're going to be able to see what your blood is doing and looking like. Mm -hmm. 
And so that way, when we're looking six months, a year out for an event, mm -hmm. we know that you're going to get two to three new, four new cycles of red blood cells mm -hmm. and that we're on the right path, mm -hmm. not just not just from a performance level, but from an internal organ. So when you do hit that wall, when you do are, you're, you're hitting 10,000 feet of climbing elevation and you've got a, a 6%, 8% grade that you've got to go through, is your body going to be able to maintain or is one of the organs going to go ahead and kick in right. and then start to cause some dis-ease? Dis-ease, yes. Right. Hmm. Interesting. I love it. Um, I love the blend of of modalities you've got going on here to help people out. That's really cool. Thank you. Know? you. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, you know, I have chiropractors that come in. It's like, wait a second. You're like, that's not chiropractic. Right. It's like, well, isn't it taking care of the body? Isn't it creating homeostasis in the body? What mm -hmm. we do. Yeah. So that's when, you know, when we talk about chiropractic, it's an art and a science. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a philosophy allowing the brain to communicate from above, down, inside out. And, and so, you know, as I said before, I don't want, I want to be as non-biased as possible. And I want to go ahead and come from a place because I know how from the birth of my son of how important the body is. And it already knows what it needs. All I want to do is I want to be sort of guardrails. I don't want to be the path which the body is. I'm telling it what it needs. Yeah. I just want to be the guardrails that keep the body on the path. Mm. Yeah, the way I think about that is well, to sort of paint a paradigm, uh, in a way, whether you're a coach or a bike fitter or a chiropractor or a health practitioner, the objective really is to allow healing to happen. I'm not healing the person, yes. right? I'm not Maybe. here to, yeah. to heal the human. I'm, I'm actually, in a way, almost getting out of the way, yep. right? I have to allow the body's healing to take place. But the biggest obstacle, or I'll say one of the biggest obstacles in that equation is that in this era, this time, most people don't have faith that their bodies can heal. They don't have the internal knowing that the body has its own mechanisms to restore homeostasis, to bring it into balance. They don't believe that. And it's a paradigm of looking for external knowledge and power to fix problems rather than looking inside. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, just a couple days ago, and the woman was talking about myofascial healing, and she told a story about a woman who had injured her wrist um, doing something, and then she went to yoga class, and they were doing their down dog posture, and the woman was in this uh, really a large amount of pain and discomfort during this down dog. And she said, you know, now I'm to the point where I can't really support my body weight on the wrist. It's very painful. It's obviously injured. So she consulted this person and said, well, you know, why don't the next time you're doing yoga, what I'd like you to do is ask your wrist what it wants. And the woman was really perplexed. She didn't understand what she meant. She said, well, it's really simple. Just listen to your body. Listen to the wrist. Try the pose. And if it's really painful, that's your wrist telling you, this doesn't work for me. This is not what I need right now. Ask your wrist what it needs. You're, there's a lot of wisdom in your body. Mm -hmm. Amen. And it's very simple, right? So instead of being attached to this outcome, I have to do my yoga mm -hmm. class because I'm going to gain weight or I'm going to be unfit or yeah. someone's not going to love me or whatever your story is that you have. Yeah. Uh, instead of doing the down dog because it's what the instructor said to do and everyone else in the class is doing it, ask your body what your body needs. Ask your wrist what your wrist needs right now. Yes, yes. You know, love your wrist. Like, yeah. understand that your wrist will communicate to you. It's just, we're not 
somehow I think we've lost this language. We've but but with that, I, I don't think that we've I don't think that we've lost it. I think we've been domesticated. And the reason I say mm. that, remember we talked about the baby elephant. Mm. We, we, you know, the baby elephant has this rope tied around its ankle, and it's tied to a wood post, and it tugs and it pulls and it tugs. And as it gets older, they put a thicker rope around it, they put the chain on it, and then it becomes this full grown adult. And if it only knew how powerful it was, it would be able to yank and break that chain or rip that post right out of the ground. And when we are younger, unless you're from parents that are a little bit of different thinking, if I have a headache, if I have a cold, if I have a fever, our parents take us to the medical doctor. And then all of a sudden they prescribe some antibiotics. They go ahead and give X, Y, Z. And so that is sort of the, the training that we are brought up with. If I have a problem, I go see the doctor that's supposed to help me with my health. Mm. But it's not really health care. It's really sort of collateral. It's really sort of, you know, sick care. It's like I'm only going to I'm going to treat the symptom. So if a child only knows what the parent has taught them, then they carry that on. So they're looking that I have the tip of the iceberg that it's a symptom. My child's complaining a stomach ache. Well, we don't know why. We all of a sudden maybe they're at some place where there there's lots of yelling at a daycare or there's something that's 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 not healthy environment that's causing stress with the child, and all of a sudden their system is going into a protective state that's changing their ecosystem and their diet in their stomach and how they process food. Mm. It could be, you know, so we were talking about emotions already. So going back in that domestication, we're only we only know so much until all of a sudden we have in our, in our adult lives, we have some clarity. And my clarity was my mom was into health and into natural things. And so, but I had terrible eczema. I was a sick kid. I had asthma, had this horrific, you look like a, I look like a lizard. I had mm. so much eczema going on. And my mom would make sure she went to the Altadena and got the, you know, 100% organic milk and everything like that. And then when I was 18 and I moved out, within six months, my skin was beautiful. All of a sudden, my asthma, I was having issues. I was able to start doing sports again. It's like, oh, dairy. Mm. You know, living on your own, you don't have the extra money to buy an extra gallon of milk. You're like making wish sandwiches with ketchup and bread, right? right? Right. So it's interesting when you come out of a certain environment that where true answers start, that all of a sudden different answers start to come to you. Mm. And I think sometimes when we look at the iceberg as a symptom versus what's beneath the water that like sank the Titanic, that's where we try to get to. We try to understand some of the bigger things that are going on inside the body. So I don't think people lose their way. I think they never had their way because they've been shown only one light. Mm. And until they question that path is when all of a sudden new realities are able to express themselves. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll add, there's still part of me that wants to say that we lost our way because there should be an inherent a priori knowledge. I, th I think it's more It's more that we, you're right, our parents didn't know any better, especially my parents, parents in the 80s. Parents, right? Yeah, right. But somehow, somewhere we knew before. And we became lost. There were some generations that know, and there's still some cultures and generations that know today that, that aren't highly technologically advanced and having all these things, right? Maybe they have, yeah. you have the old elders, right. Right. some of the yeah. old principles. Yeah. Yeah. Elder wisdom is not a thing that is quite as well respected, I would say, in today's cultural norms. Um, but it's also, it's, been, it's just been lost. I mean, 
but yep. it didn't last for a certain reason. That we that's a whole other paradigm we can get into. Right, right. Thinking of how it got lost, how it got lost, and why. I mean, in my in my own family circumstances, I didn't have my parents passed away when I was pretty young, but they weren't particularly on the path of alternate thinking or health. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was an astrogeophysicist. Oh wow! So very super left brain. Um, but died at the age of 44, a heart attack, dropped dead at work. Okay, very, I stepped at 38. Yeah, yeah. Physically a very unhealthy man. Mm -hmm. But my mom was, she was on the path a little bit. She, um, I mean, her version was, you're gonna drink Shasta instead of Coke, you know? <laughs> if you remember Shasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just Coke without caffeine, basically. So, still sugar water, but right. better than giving a five-year-old kid a, you know, 100 milligrams of caffeine. Yeah, right? but hey, Shasta's making a big uh, comeback. It's over at Big Lots now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Shasta still exists? Yes, it still exists. You see it out at Big Lots. Oh, yeah. I, no I, was, idea. I was sort of surprised, but now you oh. know Walmart owes Big Mart. So you'll oh, see Coca-Cola, okay. you'll see Shasta. Oh, and so, uh, I had no idea. Yeah, and okay. I even saw RC Cola. I'm sorry, that's getting off topic. No, <laughs> so, okay, tell me if you remember this. I think I'm the only human being who had this experience in the world. I haven't found anyone who remembers these yet, but she used to give me what was ostensibly like the predecessor to the power bar as a kid. There were snacks and they were supposedly pretty healthy. I have no idea what was in them because I was very small. Uh -huh. But they were basically really long, hippie Tootsie Rolls. They came okay. in a brown paper package that you would tear, but then it was plastic on the inside. That was the astronaut bar. That was an astronaut bar? The astronaut bar. Okay. That was at when we went to the moon in 1968. They had these little packets. Now you're going to eat so this yeah. so-called food. Health food. Yep. Yeah. And it's a little paper thing. And so they were called astronaut bars. Oh, okay. And so that was, it's like, oh, and it was, you know, peanut butter sticks, you know, and yeah. other chocolate sticks. There was a chocolate one is yeah. the one I remember. Right. I can exactly. still remember the taste of it. Yep. It's, it wasn't probably insanely sweet. Like everything now is yeah. just annihilated with sugar. Well, but but uh, not only with sugar, but in, in, and also because sugar is bad. So now they go, okay, we're going to use aspartame. We're going to use uh, so you know it's crazy, and people don't think of what aspartame can do. And you know, you talked about insane. different studies, but yeah. I mean, back in the Iraq War, there was a bunch of uh, I won't say the brand, but there was a bunch of soda that was donated to the military, and it sat in this hundred degree weather, over hundred ten degree whatever weather, sitting on these pallets out in the sun, boiling away. Yeah, and then they get it cooled down, and then there were so many military people that were getting sick and had neurological functions because when this aspartame comes into the body, it's going ahead and changing the body. Doesn't it's not real stuff. So if the body doesn't know what to do with real stuff, it can't break it down, and it just starts to hide away, puts more load and stress onto the arterial system, onto the liver system, yeah. and it's a, it's a chemical toxicity. Yeah. And it causes some of them are going and having issues with uh, the, the pilots mm -hmm. who are having issues with it. So the, it, it, This is what I mean. I mean, this gets back to the same point, which is somehow there's a knowing that's been lost. like. In what universe do people think it's okay to ingest something the human body's never encountered before? Like what, where is it that somebody thinks it makes sense for us to make an air quotes food product that is completely an artificial chemical? It's, it has no, bears no resemblance to anything found in nature. Our bodies evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. There's an innate intelligence in the body, but it's evolved in a specific environment. It's evolved to eat things we can find in a forest or on a farm, mm -hmm. maybe, right. depending on what farm you're talking right. about, right? But mostly in a forest or on the plains, we'll say. An animal or a plant that isn't processed or overly 
modified. And, and yet we think it's okay to create something like aspartame or sucralose and put it in our bodies and the hubris to think that that's not going to have some downstream consequence just astounds me. But I where mean, does that take place? Why does that, why is it created? It's created because people want a shortcut. They want what they want and, Money. and then someone else capitalizes on those shortcuts and they, and it's a capital system. When so it's 200% sweeter than regular sugar. I don't have to use as much and I can engineer it. Yep. I don't have to grow it. And it's shelf stable. <laughs> And I can sell it to all these food manufacturers and yeah. add, and sell them additives. And, and the ants are not going to eat it. <laughs> right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable yeah. how people justify these types of behaviors. And then the, the part that I get frustrated with is when people come at me with science and discussions and they say, well, there's no proof. And to be honest, there's a, there's a point where I really have this wrestling match with science because I think science can teach us a lot. And at its core, it's a, I'll say, good thing. But there's also many parts of the discussion where, to me, this is going to sound really bizarre to a lot of people, but science is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant. I, you can show me 15 studies that prove, air quotes, that aspartame doesn't cause cancer in the human body. I'm going to be direct. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I ever put that in my body? You can, it, it's, it's a, the discussion has no value to me because I know that there are, if I'm going to eat a sweetener, I'm gonna choose honey or maybe maple syrup or maybe some sugar. And these are things that are found in nature. Right. And that's what I'm gonna allow in my temple. Right. I don't need to have a discussion, like there's no gain for me to consume a fake sugar or fake butter or margarine or canola oil, which is a bioengineered crop. Or soybean oil that's called being used Canadian right oil, right, yeah. <laughs> canola oil right. is Canadian oil. If you don't know about that, look it up. But so I, I guess I'm just kind of ranting a bit. Sorry, but it's like, I don't understand how people can justify these types of behaviors in their world uh, and look at themselves in the mirror. Because to me, there's this little voice in my head that tells me if I'm not being authentic and I'm not serving my own highest good, then I can't serve other people. And this is one of Paul Chuck's core teachings is that you have to sweep your own doorstep first. Yeah. If you're going to be a health practitioner, if you're going to be a coach, if you're going to be a bike fitter, you owe it to yourself to hold your own life to a very high standard because you're a teacher, you're an instructor. You're also by definition, someone who is leading by example. Be a product. Be it doesn't mean product, you're perfect. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to drop everyone on the climb or lift more weights than them, mm -hmm. but you better be able to do one perfect rep <laughs> and you better be able to ride your bike with yeah. some grace. Yeah and be able to ride at 120 RPM and also 70 RPM or 60 RPM for a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable load without injuring yourself or right. causing problems. Like right. you're an example, yeah. right? I don't know. That's, that's exactly it. And I think as we get back to, you know, looking at the fit, the fit is trying to encompass everything. As we talked about the triad of health, we're looking at organic, we're meaning organ systems, how things are communicating. We're looking at chemicals that we put into the body. We're looking at structure. We're looking at how our physiology, our, our skeletal system, but you know, along that emotion, as you said, you said a great word, temple. Once I start valuing my temple more, mm -hmm. I'll be more caution, consciously aware of my environment. And I think, you know, you were talking about it earlier of 
somebody goes ahead and has a $5,000, $12,000 bike, and then all of a sudden is is going ahead and chimping out, you know, cheaping out on some other areas of yeah. Of, they won't spend money on organic food. Or yeah, they're they're still yeah. going to McDonald's. Right. I see. You know, you drive by McDonald's and you see so many BMWs, Mercedes, and Lexuses driving through there. Or you know, the, yeah. so there's a portion of what we put into our body is going to go ahead and what we put into and how our brain is processing the day and what we do. But, you know, is at the end of the day is making time mm. to make sure what's valuable to you. And, and so, I think sometimes we're too much in a rush. People yeah. are not, not taking the time, taking a moment when the, before the day starts is how to sort of balance yourself before your feet hit the floor. Mm-hmm. Taking that breath, mm-hmm. sort of having a moment before that urgency to go to the bathroom, but just sort of giving thanks for waking up one more time. Mm-hmm. You know, reaching out, know that you didn't touch any walls of a box. Right. Right. To go ahead and lay there, take a breath, have a moment, sort of feel your toes, feel your muscles, feel the tips of your fingers, maybe look at a loved one next to you if given the opportunity of been, being mm-hmm. so blessed, and just being present with the present. That's where I think a lot of us were, were, you know, we were talking about before that when we're, you know, in high school or something, you're thinking about your, you know, how are you going to make a million bucks or you're, you're thinking about buying that Porsche or you're thinking about, you know, that hot girl or that yep. hot guy or, yep. you know, so we, we, you know, as when we're younger, unfortunately, we're superficial for the, you know, we're not blessed in being in a, in a among society or having this culture around us. And so in America, we're sort of like, oh, what's, you know, how do we get the, you know, the best education to get the best dollar or how do we go ahead and, you know, get our people of the puzzle and i think that until you've had either a crisis until you've gone ahead and lost something until you've gone ahead and seen that you're human that you're not just this machine then all of a sudden you don't get that question you don't get that knock you don't get that knock on the door that says hey you know there's more to life than what you're trying to go for yeah Right. And I think that's, uh, you, you know, you being at 50, me being at 60, I think we both have had that little bit of uh, awareness, been fortunate enough to be able to experience that. Yeah. The way I think about it is when I'm wherever I am, when I take my last breath, am I going to look back and think, man, I should have, I should have, one thing is my inbox isn't at zero. <laughs> now what? Right. <laughs> and, I should have I should have earned more money so I could have another BMW in my garage or another Tesla or whatever, right? N- another as though I own one. I don't. Own yeah, Tesla. I was just gonna say right. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see you as that kind of. At the guy. moment, I'm a Subaru owner, but yeah. I, I had a decade where I did not own a car. That was pretty cool. Wow, a decade. Yeah, yeah just rode my bike everywhere. Wow. Now, full disclosure, my wife owned a car, and my mother-in-law, who came and went from here in Puerto Rico, owned uh-huh. a car, and we ended up with that sometimes. So, okay, I hey. had the use of a car right. when I needed it, but. Anyway, yeah. um, when you're when you're taking that last breath, wherever you are, when I'm taking my last breath, probably what's going to go through my head is, I sincerely hope that my wife and daughter know that I loved them to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. I hope my clients know that I have served them to the best of my ability, and I can I want to be able to look at myself authentically and have a yes when I ask myself yeah. those questions. Right? Mm-hmm. I hope my friends know that I love them. I hope that my colleagues know that I worked with them to the best of my ability and and just gratitude for the life that I had. That's how I think I'm going to want to go out 
I don't not, think you think, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> just for a short time meeting you in person, you're right. already living and presenting that type of life. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it, so, it, it, that's far and few between to see. Well, that hopefully isn't true, but I'm afraid you're right a little bit. But well, I don't know. I three, mean, with, with, with over what, 350 million people in the United States. Right. Right. Everybody's right. trying to just, you know, people trying to stay. So it's interesting. So many people just trying to survive life versus thriving in life. Yes. This is a critical distinction. Lifespan versus. So many people are living versus but living a life quality. Yeah. Yeah. And so can I, could, yeah. you know, so and here's, a pri here's a prime example of this. How many storage units right. do you see? with people that have so much stuff they can't keep it in their own place that they have to go and get an external storage unit to keep their crap that they're gonna pay money for mm -hmm. and a year or two later going, shit, or how many people you see in my storage wars where all of a sudden they're they're left. Yeah. Right? And so how many how many more things do I need to buy from Amazon? How many more things TVs do I need? How many more XYZs? Retail therapy. Need, right? It's, it's a powerful thing. And I have to admit, I've you know I've got a few bikes. I've I've gotten excited. I I get you know I get excited, but you know one of the bikes that I get excited about is the the Kessler, and thinking about no seat tube. Yeah. Right. And it's just I yeah. thought it was an interesting bike. And then that's a you know, super cool historic right? bike. Yeah. yeah. And and, yeah. and looking at the other one that they have out there, that's um, you know one of their first carbon fiber bikes from thirty years ago, mm -hmm. and it still looks awesome. Yeah. So it's almost like you know it's just those little pieces that I sort of collect to and say, okay, mm -hmm. it didn't cost me a lot. It was just sort of a, a little you know little nostalgic thing to go ahead and keep on to. Right. right. And so. Yep. I'm at my lowest bike count ever. I think right now. Well, since I was probably a junior, I'm. My bike, my bike count's really low. Let's see. One track bike, one towny hybrid prototype gravel bike, my mosaic gravel bike, my Appleman road bike, two Trek mountain bikes. That's Six, seven. Seven, right. For a guy whose entire life is cycling, I've been racing and riding for 35 years and did 15 years wow. as a pro. I'll take it. That's yeah. a pretty low count. <laughs> that's a low count for all the bikes that you yeah. could be keeping, right? I've been double that for many years. Uh huh. So, right. But been uh, recently, particularly on the path to try to Lesson. let it go on yeah. into other ownership. Yeah, yeah. Let it find a new home. Let's for sure. let other people sort of enjoy the beauty of some of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Freeing ourselves up. Yeah. From the stuff. The stuff, man. It's. Um, We've all been powerfully programmed to buy things, to be uh -huh. consumers, good little consumers and yeah. buy stuff. And Amazon just makes it so, so ridiculously convenient. There are times when my wife orders things and it shows up three <laughs> hours later at our door. No way. Yeah, same, well, not on purpose. She just orders it and it just shows up that fast because we're in Boulder and there's a Denver distribution center, I think. Oh my goodness. It's insane how efficient they are. Wow. Well, and I don't say that in the complimentary way, like that comes at a price for everyone, mm -hmm. yeah. right? right? And what that price is, I'm not qualified to say, but I'm sure the van that drove there was consuming oil and mm -hmm. you know maybe that van was gonna make that trip anyway and it was mm -hmm. just one more stop at our house. I don't know, you could go on and yeah, on yeah, about yeah, yeah, leaving yeah. all that up, yeah. but. <laughs> okay, right. so as you know, right. so as today of our, you know, getting together and, and you know, like I said, I'm looking forward to coming up to your place and getting fitted. Um, Me too. That'd be great. Yeah, and so, you know, so, so for for your listeners, <laughs> anybody that's still there, <laughs> um, real quick thing is we sort of talked about that 
you can check to see how your blood is doing without going getting a blood test. You can go ahead and get a lance kit, like some people use to prick their finger. And what you do is when you prick your finger, you're going to get a little drop of blood. You sort of squeeze it out. And you want to check for a couple of things. First one is you want to check for color. You want to see, is it the color of a tomato, a t- or that orangey red, or is it this cherry dark red color? And when it's a dark cherry red color, it's going to go ahead and show that there's more oxygenation inside the blood. In our facility, we also run a hyperbaric uh, center as well and dealing with that. But it, so when I put somebody in there, we're dealing with strokes or cerebral palsy, autism, pre or post-surgery, they were checking their blood to see how they do post and after to be able to show that there is a benefit to what they're doing. Now, would that test be, can you also do that with a pulse ox and see the same thing or no? No. no. What's the pulse ox is just going to show you how much oxygen that you have Percent in your blood, in blood, in right? blood. So what you really want, and that just gives you a number. We want to check. So this is actually showing function. So you actually be visually able to see. Because it's so, qualitatively. Exactly. Okay. Without going ahead and getting your blood work. Because you're yeah. it's like, okay, what's my oxygen level? Okay. It shows, you know, you should be like anywhere from 95 to 98%. Yeah. And so, you know, oh, I'm dropped down. It's 93%. Okay. Well, what's happening? What's happening with that exchange rate? So by pricking the finger, you see it's a tomato red, which then shows that you're low in nutrients. That tells me malabsorption. Mm-hmm. I'm not breaking down the food sufficiently in the body. Mm-hmm. Second of all, when I look at that drop of blood, it should go ahead. It sh- if it splays out over the finger, or does it hold like a head of a pin? Is it, it more like a balloon? Yeah. Or does it kind of drip Just down? Drip. All of a sudden, yeah. it goes from a circle to an oval, and it starts going along the grains of your fingerprint. Yep. Yep. Right? And when that's happening, that shows, again, that we don't have enough positive and negative ions that are able to hold the plasma together, mm-hmm. which then causes it to be able to spill over the finger. So you want it to be like a dark red balloon. Exactly. That, and yeah. staying ahead of a pin. Right. Nice and right. round. Nice and round. Okay. So that's going to go ahead and show you that you're, the way that you're breaking down an absorption, and that's a really super, super rough way mm-hmm. to just sort of look at yourself you know we talked about looking at your poop in there Mm -hmm. you know so that's just one way with a really simple way how am i looking and every 90 to 120 days you're getting a whole new set of red blood cells in one day you're going to get hundreds of thousands of new ones but in a three to four month cycle you're going to get a whole new set of red blood cells so Mm -hmm. what you do today can influence how that blood is communicating. And that's why we'll look at somebody's blood 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And with our ultra distance athletes, especially depending on what part of the world they're coming, they'll be here for maybe two weeks. So the, the, the visualization and the work has to even be a little bit tighter. So we were watching until we really get to see, does XYZ formula that they're taking in, does that work? Do they need a cocktail of a couple different things versus just relying on one Mm -hmm. product? So we get to see, they take a sample and then they go ride and we take another sample Mm -hmm. and then we're able to see their exertion levels. We're able to see what that formula is doing inside their body. So, And then you're also making dietary recommendations to help them. Exactly. You know, part of that you would see if someone does have um, challenges digesting and they're getting protein particles in the bloodstream. Yes. Right. Then you're going to see that in their blood work, but also you look at the blood under a microscope. That's part of your system. That's too, correct. Big, that's the yeah. biggest thing. Cause if we, you, know, you talked about if I'm not chewing my food properly mm-hmm. and I have undigested proteins, it'll lay down. You know, we're so used to seeing like the helix, the DNA helix, and you sort of see these, 
these molecules and everything. But when you see these inside the blood and you see these white lines, those are the proteins that haven't been broken down, the protein change. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing on this microscopic level, this one drop underneath this field of seeing hundreds of thousands of red blood cells. Yeah. And so in, if that's happening in that one drop of blood, imagine what's happening, what you can't see. We know in the hands and the feet and in the brain are the smallest arterioles. So if I have if I have right. proteins that are not being fully broken down, it starts to block and cause issues in the deepest part of those small arterioles. Oh, the capillaries. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, the capillaries, well, the capillary is just where the artery comes into the capillary and then from there is the vein. So that's the right. change of oxygen right, and right. old oxygen, right? Yeah. But just in the smallest arterial, you okay. can have, that's where you have placking. You have yeah. things that are going ahead. It's almost like watching a stream of water coming down your street along the curb there and all of a sudden if there's some grass or there's some other things that it, it, it has to go around. It has to go around, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's where all of a sudden when I start thinking about it, everybody's fine at a, at a neutral state. But when you start pushing the body, when you start doing higher elevations, when you start doing you know, higher, longer pushes, and they're starting to notice, oh, I'm starting to get you know, swelling in the hands. I'm starting to get headaches. I'm starting to get pressure behind the eyes. I'm starting mm -hmm. to notice different symptomatology. It sets the body showing that it's out of homeostasis. Yep, yep. So how can I make sure that I'm putting you into a better state of homeostasis? So when you do push the level, whether you are swimming, running, cycling, or whatever your sport is, is to make sure that we're working together in a nice smooth path versus working against and just twist, wing it. Oh, this one didn't work. Okay, let's try yeah. the next thing. Yeah. So, you know, I have a friend of mine who does a lot of wind tunnel testing. He came up with a great term. Uh, he says, if you're not testing, you're guessing. Yeah. And um, Paul's version of that is if you don't assess, you guess. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And right. so testing yeah. is, and so I love the medical industry because they have lots of tools for testing. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, one of the things I showed you today also was showing the x-rays. Yeah. Right. And yep. so we talked about a little bit of how, whether a massage, whether they're doing some acupuncture, whether they're going ahead and getting an adjustment, when you're doing any of these modalities to change the physiology state of the myosin actin fibers or the osseous structures, if we don't have a picture of what's happening underneath, we don't know. Remember, how we talked about how smart the innate intelligence is. Could the neck be out of alignment because there was something going on, as, as you just suggested, <laughs> yeah. your neck in front of me? <laughs> Thinking about my neck. <laughs> but could it be, be something that in the mid portion of the back that I make this hitting a acupressure point, hitting a an adjustment, uh, stroking a muscle, mm -hmm. could that be changing what the body was trying to protect itself? And as we saw on the x-ray today, we saw the first atlas on one person that was nice and lined up. And then on another x-ray, we saw that it was tilted where you could actually see both sides yep. of the first bone. So that showed there was pressure on the base of this cord. So now if I'm in the hoods and I'm leaning forward, I'm putting more pressure on the base of the brainstem, which what we don't know about is that through the bones of the neck, the outside, so you have where the nerve comes out, but at the cervical spine, you have these little areas where there's arteries from the heart to travel up through the bones of the neck on the outside of the vertebral canal that travel through and then exit the first atlas and then mm -hmm. go into the base of the skull. 
So if that atlas, the first bone, is out of alignment and tilted, and I go into extension, I could be actually putting pressure on that arterial system. Right. Which can then alter the blood flow, blood flow, right? Yeah. Which then could cause the body to go into a protective state. Mm -hmm. Says you're putting pressure and changing the arterial system as a possibility also the carotid artery. So I'm going to tilt your head in a certain way to try to make sure the flow mm -hmm. of oxygen and nutrients to the brain is working to its best. Yep. Yep. I'm going to lean your body. I'm going to change your shoulder development. I'm going to give you more splinting by having your shoulders up mm -hmm. and a shorter neck and have yep. you an anterior posture to make sure the magnum foramen is more open because of that change that we saw in the x-ray with the yeah. tilted first so bone. this is this is just a way to look deeper i mean i can look at someone in standing posture and see if they have an elevated shoulder on one side or if their ears are cocked to one side i'll note that yeah but i don't know if that's just a function of a really tight levator scapula on one side or whether it's because they have a subluxated atlas or practice yeah. both are things we want to work on and figure out but mm -hmm. But you can't without the X-ray. There's no way to know. There's no way to palpate the atlas. No, is there? You cannot. You, yeah. No, you no. You feel it, but you don't know why it's doing what it's doing, right? Right. So that's why working with you know when we your fitters are going ahead of the possibility you know have the blessing of being both, but having that. So when people go, oh, can you just adjust my neck? And it's like mm -hmm. I don't have X-rays of you. Right. And it's, it's not to say that I haven't been in third world countries and we've done, you know, lots of healing on lots of people. But it, when we're in an environment and if we're doing something repetitive, more we information want to, is better. Most definitely. We yeah. want to see where you because we, we want to see at where we started and where we go. Yeah, right. Right. You know, just like in your training, you have a, a you have a basic, okay, this is what your first week of training is going to look like. Mm -hmm. This is what your eighth week of training is going to be or whatever that is, yeah. right? What and changed? So, right. And so yeah. we want to know, how are you feeling? What's your energy? What's your nutrition? Like, what's how, how's your caloric intake? What's mm -hmm. your BM, your BMR? What's, how are things working inside your system? And so, as we said, no guessing. We want to make sure mm -hmm. that we're testing mm -hmm. and we want to be able to have some type of parameters of being able to no, no different when we do a fitting. We go ahead and take all the measurements on the bike. So before we yeah. make an adjustment, we know where you were, what was your float, where was the cleat position, where is your seat at? And so this way, for some reason, if there is a negative response, then if we if the person needs because their body wasn't being able to acclimate to the new position, the proper pedaling position, mm. then at least we can take a back step. Yep. We can go ahead and allow for those fascial adhesions. We can work with some of the different therapists to try to open up or how to adjust and realign the physiology and giving it time mm. to go to it. This is where you are. This is where we want to take you. Yep. Right. Yep. And so many times that people go, yeah, my fitter had me X, Y, Z. And I've done this before. All of a sudden I see them toe ducking out and I go, no, we need to go ahead and get you into a neutral position. Right. But because something in their diet or their pelvis and all of a sudden now my knees are hurting. So I move my feet back out. So if we know that if they're coming in, we're not going to change the world in one day. Yes. We know it's going to That's be. That's such an important concept in bike fitting. It's, I think there's a, a belief system in place that you go to a bike fit just like you would go to have a cavity filled. Yep. And then the dentist goes and they clean out the, the plaque and they do the thing and they drill away until we get fresh tooth and then they fill it, hopefully with not <laughs> metal fillings. And then then your cavity is fixed and then right. you go about your day. And, and okay, we clean our teeth really well and it's a function of just being an adult over time, eventually your teeth get, some, you have some problems. Right. Especially if you're ingesting a lot of sugary, salty solutions and then breathing really hard with an open mouth for right. hours a day. <laughs> Turns out bike racing is really not good for your teeth. So 
um, that's that's how people perceive a bike fitting. But bike fitting is when you're fitting the body as a whole, as a structure, as an organism, as you said, is always working to achieve homeostasis, which means it's always adapting to its environment, which means every year you're a different person. Yes. There's no final solution. There's no, this is Vince's saddle height for all of eternity. There is, where is Vince's optimal saddle height set back and angled right now, Mm -hmm. given what we see, given his current status of his pelvis and his lumbar spine Mm -hmm. and his digestive health Mm -hmm. and whatever else you, that you or our hypothetical client has going on, right? But in a year, that person now has decided to, uh, they took four years of winter yoga classes. Mm -hmm. So their body's different or they joined a CrossFit gym and their body's different. And Mm -hmm. then they injured their shoulder or whatever they did. Right. Hopefully not. But so there's, so fit is an ongoing, I think of fit as an ongoing process. It's an ongoing conversation between you and your fitter to evolve. And sometimes the fitter has a great solution for a client as I'm speaking for myself here. And sometimes I'm like, man, I don't know, but this is what I think we're going to try. Here's why we're going to do it. Here's what I need you to look for. Here's our feedback mechanism. Mm-hmm. Did this feel worse or did this feel better? Do you have more pressure in your hands or less? Do you have more soreness in your lower back or less? Mm-hmm. Go ride it for three weeks, come back. Yeah. We talk about what worked. We talk about what didn't. Some of it is an exploration. And yeah, I have a lot of experience and um, insight to offer people, but you know, I'm, I'm well on the healthy side of the Dunning-Kruger curve. I've got my ass kicked many times by <laughs> thinking I knew something and then go, oh, nope, not even close. <laughs> so I'm very humbly offer my opinion and my expertise to people with the disclaimer that I'm learning as you are. I'll never stop learning. That's yeah. why I do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's always a growth. Well, but, you know, you being in Colorado, uh, you're no uh, stranger to skiing. Correct. And what happens every at the beginning of every season before you ski, what do you do? You skis. Oh, you go get the bases reground and get them waxed and get the edges sharpened. Right. So yeah. you're tuning yep. your equipment. equipment. And so I think it's so funny when I talk to people, I go, when was your last fit? Oh, 10 years ago. Right. Four years ago. Right. I, do you think your body has changed in that? Well, I've been, ha- or how long have you been having this? I've been oh, for about three years. Can so you I, fix it in one fit? <laughs> Right. You've got 36 months of building this back problem. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll ask point, point blank. I'll say, okay, you've had this pain for about for about three years. How long do you think, even if we optimized everything today in your position, how long do you think it would be until that pain was gone? And they get it. Uh-huh. Most of the time they get it. They're like, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. And they're like, well, it could be could be one to one. could be three years. But uh, let's not think that pessimistically. Right. Okay, let's cut it in half year and a half. Ooh, that's still a really long time. Okay. <laughs> so they gave me an answer of around, they're like, I don't know, a couple months maybe. And I said, yeah, okay. You know, depending on what we're dealing with, right, of course, right, of course. And how compliant the client is, how motivated they are. Right. It could be as little as a few weeks. Sometimes sometimes it can be a miraculous turnaround. Yeah. It depends on what we're dealing with. If somebody saddles 35 mils too high, you can do a lot of good by lowering their saddle on one shot, well, which does yeah. happen sometimes when they come Because you're, you're decreasing that pressure. A, a dime of pressure can influence the nervous system. So if you lower the 35 millimeters, right. which is almost about a, an inch and a half, yep. all of a sudden they're going to have less pressure, whether male or female, in, this, in the soft tissue, in the perineal area, yep. that the body's not going to be in a threatened state which would allow them to enjoy their cycling. Yep. I mean, we yep. could go on for on and hours on. and hours of... But of we won't. <laughs> I'll respect your Sunday. We've already been talking for a long time. 
Dr. Vince, <laughs> thank you so much for making time to talk to me today. It was really great to get to know you. It was such a pleasure. Um, such a pleasure. Please yeah. uh, remind everyone where they can find out more about you. Where are we? We're in, are we in Ventura? No, 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 no. We're in El Segundo, California. We're okay. five miles south of LAX. I mean, sorry, five minutes south of LAX. We pick up lots of people from the airport. Um, so we're right, we're just north of Manhattan Beach. And um, yeah, 301 Main Street, El Segundo, California, 90245. If you have any questions, uh, I can give my email if that's yeah, okay. please. Uh, Dr. Vince, D-R-V-I-N-C-E of O-F, infinity, I-N-F-I-N-I-T-Y at gmail.com. And Great. they're more than welcome to, you know, chime us both in on a question they might have. Um, and just to the sure. you know, the basic things, you know, you just last last piece, mm-hmm. you know, to help people. You know, we talked about digestion. We're talking about stuff. Um, with the biggest thing that we see so often is you're talking about dental health, right? And we're talking about when I look at people's mouths, I'm checking to see if they have any silver. And a lot of times, when you've had a a portion where a cavity's been there for decades. And, you know, you have the dentist, you, it used to start off with a spot and then it got bigger and then all of a sudden it became bigger silver. And what people don't know is that silver begins, when you drink something hot or cold, what happens to metal? It uh, expands and contracts. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. So now the tin, the silver, the nickel is there to stabilize the mercury. Yep. And what happens as that expands and contracts, it's causing tension onto that metal. It's causing tension onto the tooth which can cause little cracks and different things. But what takes place is over a period of time, that causes the silver to go ahead and leach out into the tooth, right. which then causes the tooth to turn gray. So now you only have tin and nickel that's not just that, but it's just less silver to help stabilize that mercury. So the so when you're seeing that, we're also masticating our food. Yep. And so as you create that instability, you're causing a little micro uh, sloughing off of that filling into your digestive tract, which causes a heavy metal toxicity load. It, the part I love about this is people still, there's still apparently some dentists who use mercury fillings. They do. And, and it's it, unbelievable. Like people readily accept that the amount of mercury that is acceptable inside the human body is zero. It's a toxic. It's, it's a, a neurotoxin. To- yeah, it is. But it's okay to put it in your mouth. Yeah. The, the fact that this is not, this connection is not clear again astounds me right i mean talking about nitroglycerin is one example right not everything goes into the body immediately but many many things do but do we want to put something that we know clearly like this is not under debate right mercury is a neurotoxin like why do we want to put it close to your body at all well i'll I'll give you so where it came about Mm. so you've heard of the term quack yeah and as chiropractors we've been sort of labeled with that but the word quack came from the European word called quackenslaven. And so back in the 1800s, you had your American dentists that were filling the teeth with gold. And when you had the European dentists that started coming over, they were using this thing called quackenslaven, which is liquid silver. Mm. And so it was, it, it was cheaper than gold. Right. So, and it was also allowed the dentist to be able to maneuver when filling at the tooth because it didn't cool off. It didn't go ahead. So they were able to manipulate that filling more with the quicksilver than they were with the gold. And so the American dentists or dentists that were using gold uh, called the other dentists, they called them quacks. Oh, interesting. That's where the word quack. And now we have quack. 
quack watch or we have yeah quack watch or right. that's an interesting yeah. thing yeah or quackery or something yep. like that so yep. it's just understanding a little hmm. bit of of sometimes history you know where words come from and how they come about that is but interesting quack and slaven was the term for quack and slaven that sounds german or i don't know i'd be, I'd be interesting if you're any of your viewers or Dutch yeah or me able to read that reach out yeah. Yeah. So Quakislav is where that came about. Hmm. And so, but the, the other thing that people don't know about from a simple base is toothpaste. Yeah. Toothpaste is going to go ahead and have sodium lower sulfate inside there. And that's most toothpaste. Most toothpaste, Crest, Colgate. But they, and so when you read the warning label and it says keep out of reach of children under the age of six, most <laughs> of us are, are teaching our kids around three years old to brush their teeth. Yep. And then obviously you wonder why they go to bed when they were playing before and now they're in bed. I know my belly doesn't feel so good. And then yeah. you got to rub it and you increase the blood supply and all of a sudden they fall asleep. Right. But then you go ahead. So then it says, if more than ingested, contact your medical professional or your mm -hmm. poison control center. And you say, no, 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 it's okay, Vince. I, I spit it out. Yeah. And then I go back to how long does it take for the nitroglycerin to work? Right. Exactly. A couple of seconds. Yeah. And the dentist tells you to brush your teeth 60 to 120 seconds. So temple every day that we're doing, we're affecting the hydrogen ions inside the body. And yeah. so, yeah. but my friend, it was such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank once you. Again. And um, one more time, please remind people of your website uh, is infinitybikeseat.com. Great. And uh, yeah. And then for out. locals who might hear this, they can also book appointments with you through the clinic on that site as well, or is there a uh, different site? There's, uh, you can reach out to me at the Dr. Vince of Infinity, and then I can put you in touch with my wife, or people just reach us at info at infinitybikeseat.com. Great. And so we'll go from All there. Right. All right. Thank Thanks, you so buddy. much. Appreciate okay. it. Yeah. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse because if we can't have a discourse as adults then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society even if we disagree we ought to be able to in most cases shake hands and walk away because after all this is sport we're talking about and while sport is training for life 
it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.